0: Chapter 14 of Inimitable Jeeves This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fanod Jahangiri The Inimitable Jeeves by P.G. Wodehouse. Chapter 14. The Purity of the Turf After that, Love at Twin jogged along pretty peacefully for a bit. Twing is one of those places where there isn't a frightful lot to do, no any very hectic excitement to look forward to. In fact, the only event of any importance on the horizon as far as I could ascertain, was the annual village school treat. One simply filled in the time by loafing about the grounds, playing a bit of tennis and avoiding young bingo as far as was humanly possible. This loss was a very necessary move if you wanted a happy life, for the Cynthia author had jawed the unfortunate mutt to such an extent that he was always relaying, one and decanting his anguished soul. And when one morning he blew into my bedroom while I was towing with a bit of breakfast, I decided to take a firm line from the start. I could stand having him moaning all over me after dinner and even after lunch, but at Breakfast, no. We woosters are amiability itself, but there is a limit. Now look here, old friend, I said. I know your body heart is broken and all that, and at some future time I shall be delighted to hear all about it. But I didn't come to talk about that. No, Greg. The boss, said young Bingo, is dead. Let us say no more about it. right I have been wounded to the very depth of my soul, but don't speak about it. I won't. I ignore it, forget it. Absolutely. I hadn't seen him so dashed reasonable for days. What I came to see you about this morning, Bertie, he said, fishing a sheet of paper out of his pocket, was to ask if you would care to come in on another little flutter. If there is one thing we woosters are simply dripping with, it is spotting blood. I bolted the rest of my sausage and sat up and took notice. Proceed, I said. You interest me strangely, old bird. Bingo laid the paper on the bed. On Monday week, he said, you may or may not know the annual village school trade takes place. Lord Wickmersley lends the whole grounds for the purpose. There will be games and a conjurer, and coconut shies, and tea in a tent and also sports. I know, Cynthia was telling me." Young Bingo winced. Would you mind not mentioning that name? I'm not made of marble. Sorry. Well, as I was saying, this jamboree is slated for Monday week. The question is, are we on? How do you mean, are we on? I am referring to the sports. Steggles did so well out of the Salmon Handicap that he has decided to make a book on these sports. Punters can be accommodated at ante post odds or starting price according to their preference. I think we ought to look into it," said young Bingo. I pressed the bell. I can't Jeeves. I don't touch any sporting proposition without his advice. Jeeves, I said as he drifted in, rally round. So, stand by. We want your advice. Pretty good, sir. State your case, Bingo. Bingo stated his case. What about it, Jeeves? I said. Do we go in? Jeeves pondered to some extent. I'm inclined to favor the idea, sir. That was good enough for me. Right, I said. Then we will form a syndicate and bust the ring. I supply the money, you supply the brains and Bingo. What do you supply, Bingo? ''If you will carry me and let me settle up later,'' said young Bingo, ''I think I can put you in the way of winning a parcel on the mother's sack race. All right, we will put you down as inside information. Now, what are the events?'' Bingo reached for his paper and consulted it. Girls on the 1450-yard dash seems to open the proceedings. ''Anything to say about that, Jeeves? ''No, sir. I have no information.'' ''What's next?'' Boys and girls mixed animal potato race, all ages. This was a new one to me. I had never heard of it at any of the big meetings. What's that? Rather sporting, said Young Bingo. The competitioners enter in couples, each couple being assigned an animal cry and a potato. For instance, let's suppose that you and Jeeves entered. Jeeves would stand at a fixed point holding a potato. You would have your head in a sack. And you would grope about trying to find Jeeves and making a nose like a cat. Jeeves also making a nose like a cat. Other competitors would be making noses like cows and pigs and dogs and so on, and groping about for their potato holders, who would also be making noses like cows and pigs and dogs and so on. I stopped the poo fish. Jolly, if you're fond of animals, I said. But on the whole, precisely, sir," so, said Jeeves. "I wouldn't touch it. To open what?" Exactly, sir. So. Very really hard to estimate. For, carry on, Bingo. Where do we go from there? Mother's sacrifice. Oh, that's better. This is where you know something. A gift for Mrs. Pentworthy, the tobacconist's wife. Said Bingo confidently. I was in at her shop yesterday buying cigarettes, and she told me she had won three times at first in Worcestershire. She only moved to these parts a short time ago, so nobody knows about her. She promised me she would keep herself dog, and I think we could get a good price. Risk a ton of each way, Jeeves, what? I think so, sir. Girls open egg and spoon race, Red Bingo. How about that? I doubt if it would be worth while to invest, sir, said Jeeves. I am told it is a certainty for last year's winner, Sarah Mills, who will doubtless start an odds and on favourite. Good is she? They tell me in the village that she carries a beautiful sir. Then there is the obstacle race," said Bingo. "Risky, in my opinion, like betting on the Grand National, father's hat-trimming contests, and other speculative events. That's all, except for the choir boys' hundred-yard handicap." For a putter mark presented by a vicar, open to all whose voices have not broken before the second Sunday in Epiphany. Willie Chambers won last year in a canter receiving 15 yards. This time he will probably be handicapped out of the race. I don't know what to advise. If I might make a suggestion, sir, I ask with interest. I don't know that I'd ever seen him look so nearly excited. You've got something up your sleeve? I have, sir. Red Hot? That precisely describes it, sir. I think I may confidently assert that we have the winner of the choir boy's handicap under this very roof, sir. Harold, the page boy. Page boy? Do you mean the top of the chap in buttons one sees bubbling about here and there? Why, dashy Jeeves, nobody has a greater respect for your knowledge of form than I have, but I'm hanged if I can see Harold catching the judge's eye. He's particularly secular, and every time I've seen him, he's been leaning up against something, half asleep. He received 30 yards, sir, and could win from a scratch. The boy is a flyer. How do you know? Jeeves coughed, <clears throat> and there was a dreamy look in his eye. I was as much astonished at yourself, sir. When I first became aware of the last capabilities, I happened to pursue him one morning with the intention of fetching him a clip on the side of the head. "'Great scold, Jeeves, you?' Oh, "'Yes, sir. The boy is of an outspoken disposition, and had made an opprobrious remark respecting my personal appearance.' "'What did he say about your appearance?' "'I have forgotten, sir,' said Jeeves with a touch of austerity, but it was... opprobrious. I endeavored to correct him, but he outdistanced me by yours and made good his escape. Oh say, Jeeves, this is sensational, and yet if he's such a sprinter, why hasn't anybody in the village found it out? Surely he plays with the other boys? No, sir, as his lordship's page boy, Harold does not mix with the village lads. But that a no what? He's somewhat accurately alive to the existence of class distinctions, sir. You're absolutely certain he's such a wonder? said Bingo. I mean, it wouldn't do to plunge unless you're sure. If you desire to also turn the boy's home by personal inspection, sir, it will be a simple matter to arrange a secret trial. I'm bound to say I should feel easier in my mind, I said. Then if I may take a shilling from the money on your dressing table, what for? I propose to bribe the lad to speak slightingly of the second footman's squint, sir. Charles is somewhat sensitive on the point and should undoubtedly make the lad extend himself if you will be at her first floor passage window overlooking the back door in half an hour's time. I don't know when I dressed in such a hurry. As a rule, I'm what you might call a slow and careful dresser. I like to linger over the tie and see that the trousers are just so, but this morning I was all worked up. I just shoved on my things anyhow, and joined Bingo at the window with a quarter of an hour to spare. The passage window looked down onto the broad sort of paved courtyard which ended after about 20 yards in an archway through a high wall. Beyond this archway you got onto a strip of the drive which curved round for another 30 yards or so till it was lost behind a thick shrubbery. I put myself in the stripling's place and thought what steps I would take with a second footman after me. There was only one thing to do, leg it for the shrubbery and take cover which meant that at least 50 yards would have to be covered, an excellent test. If good old Harold could fight off the second footman's challenge long enough to allow him to reach the bushes, that wasn't required boy in England who could give him 30 yards in the 100. I waited all of the Twitter for what seemed hours and then suddenly there was a confused noise without and something round and blue and buttony shot through the back door and buzzed for the archway like a mustang, and about two seconds later out came the second footman, going his hardest. There was nothing to eat, absolutely nothing. The third never had a chance. Long before the footman reached the halfway mark, Harold was in the bushes, throwing stones. I came away from the window, thrilled to the morrow, and when I met Jeeves on the stairs, I was so moved that I nearly grasped his head. Jeeves, I said, no discussion, the worst goes to this boy. Very good, sir, said Jeeves. The worst of these country meetings is that you can't plunge as heavily as you would like when you get a good thing because it alarms the ring. Teggles, though pimpled was, as I have indicated, no chump, and if I had invested all I wanted to, he would have put two and two together. I managed to get a good, solid bet down for the syndicate. However, though it did make him look thoughtful, I heard in the next few days that he had been making search inquiries in the village concerning Harold, but nobody could tell him anything. And eventually, he came to the conclusion, I suppose, that I must be having a long shot on the strength of that thirty-yard start. Public opinion be wayward between Jimmy Good. Receiving ten yards at seven to two, and Alexander Bartlett with six yards a start at eleven to four. Willie Chambers' scratch was offered to the public at two to one, but found no takers. We were taking no chances on the big events, and directly we had got all money on at the 900 hundred to twelve. Harold was put into strict training. It was a wearying business. And I can understand now why most of the big trainers are grim, silent men who look as though they had suffered. The kid wanted constant watching, it was no good talking to him about honor and glory and how proud his mother would be when he wrote and told her he had won a real cup. The moment blighted Harold discovered that training meant knocking off pastry, taking exercise and keeping away from the cigarettes, he was all against it, and it was only by unceasing vigilance that we managed to keep him in any shape at all. It was the diet that was the stumbling block. As far as exercise went, we could generally arrange for a sharp dash every morning with the assistance of the second footman. He ran into money of course, but that couldn't be helped, Still, when a kid has simply to wait till the butler's back is turned to have the run of the pantry and has only to nip into the smoking room to collect a handful of the best Turkish, training becomes a rocky job. We could only hope that on the day his natural stamina would pull him through. And then, one evening, young Bingo came back from the links with a disturbing story. He had been in the habit of giving Harold mad exercise in the afternoons by taking him out as a caddie. At first he seemed to think it humorous, the poor chump. He bubbled over with merry mouth as he began his state. i I rather say funny this afternoon, he said. You ought to have seen Stuggle's face. Seen Steggall's face? What for? When he saw young Harold sprint, I mean, I was full with a grim foreboding of an awful doom. Good heavens! You did not let Harold sprint in front of Steggles? Young Bingo's jaw dropped. I never thought of that, he said gloomily. It wasn't my fault. I was playing around with the stickles and after we'd finished we went into the clubhouse for a drink, leaving Harold with the clubs outside. In about five minutes we came out and there was the kid on the gravel practicing swings with the stickles driver and stone. When he saw us coming, the kid dropped the club and was over the horizon like a streak. The was absolutely dumbfounded, and I must say it was a revelation even to me. The kid certainly gave off his best. Of course, it's a nuisance in a way, but I don't see on second thoughts, said Bingo, brightening up. What it matters? We're on at the good price. We're nothing to lose by the kid's form becoming known. I take it he will start odds on. But that doesn't affect us. I looked at Jeeves. Jeeves looked at me. It affects us all right if he doesn't start at all. Precisely, sir. What do you mean? asked Bingo. If you ask me, I said, I think Stuggers will try to novel him before the race. Good lord, I never thought of that, Bingo blanched. You don't think he would really do it? I think he would have a jolly good try. Stuggles is a bad man from now on. Jeeves, we must watch Harold like Hawks. Undoubtedly, sir. Ceaseless vigilance, what? Precisely, sir. You wouldn't care to sleep in his room, Jeeves. No, sir, I should not. No, nor would I. If it comes to that spot, dash it all, I said. We're letting ourselves get rattled. We're losing our nerve. This won't do. How can a stuggist possibly get at Harold, even if he wants to? There was no cheering young Bingo up. He's one of those birds who simply leap at a with view if you give them half a chance. There are all sorts of ways of nobbling favorites, he said in a sort of deathbed voice. You ought to read some of these racing novels. In Pipped on the Post, Lord Jasper Malaverer, as near as a toucher, outed Bunny Betsy by bribing the head lad to slip a cobra into his stable the night before the derby. What are the chances of a cobra biting Harold, Jeeves? Slight, I should imagine, sir, and in such an event, knowing the boy as intimately as I do, my anxiety would be entirely for the snake. Still, unceasing vigilance, Jeeves. Most certainly, sir. I must say I got a bit fed with young Bingo in the next few days. It's all very well for a fellow with a big winner in his stable to exercise proper care. But in my opinion, Bingo overdid it. The Blighters might appear to be absolutely saturated with the racing fiction, and in the stories of that kind, as far as I could make out, no horse is ever allowed to start in a race without at least a dozen attempts to put it out of action. He stuck to horror like a plaster, Never let the unfortunate kid out of his sight. Of course, it meant lot to the poor old egg if he could collect on this race, because it would give him enough money to chuck his tutoring job and get back to London. But all the same, he needn't have woken me up at three in the morning twice running, wants to tell me we ought to cook Harold's food ourselves to prevent doping. The other time to say that he had heard mysterious noises in the shrubbery, but he reached the limit, in my opinion, when he insisted on my going to evening service on Sunday, the day before the spouse Why on earth, I said, never being much of a lad for evening song. Well, I can't go myself, I shan't be here, I've got to go to London today with young Egbert. Egbert was Lord Wick Wesley's son, the one bingo was tutoring. He's going for a visit down in Kent and I've got to see him off at Keren Cross. It's an infernal nuisance. I shan't be back till Monday afternoon. In fact, I shall miss most of the sports, I expect. Everything therefore depends on you, Bertie. But why should either of us go to evening services? As Harlow sings in the choir, doesn't he? What about it? I can't stop him dislocating his neck over the high node, if that's what you're afraid of. Fool, singer sings in the choir too. There may be dirty work after the service. What absolute rot! Is it? said young Bingo. Well, let me tell you that in Jenny the Girl Jockey, the villain kidnapped the boy who was to ride a favorite the night before the big race, and he was the only one who understood and could control the horse, and if the heroine hadn't dressed up in riding things and… oh, Alright, alright, but if there's any danger, it seems to me the simplest thing would be for Harold not turn out on Sunday evening. He must turn out. You seem to think the infernal kid is a monument of rectitude, beloved by all. He's got the shakiest reputation of any kid in the village. His name is as near being mud as it can jolly well stick. He's played hockey from the choir so often that the vicar told him if one more thing happened, he would fire him out. Nice chumps we should look if he was scratched the night before the race. Well, of course, that being so, there was nothing for it but to toddle along. There's something about the evening service in, in a country church that makes a fellow feel drowsy and peaceful. Sort of end of a perfect day feeling, old Happerstall was up in the pulpit and he has a kind of regular bleating delivery that either thought. They had left the door open and the air was full of a mixed scent of trees and honeysuckle and mildew and villagers' Sunday clothes. As far as the eye could reach, you could see farmers propped up in restful attitude, breathing heavily, and the children in the congregation who had fidgeted during the earlier part of the proceedings were now lying back in a self sort of coma. The last rays of the setting sun shone through the stained glass windows, birds were twittering in the trees, the women's dresses crackled gently in the stillness, peaceful, that's what I'm driving at, I felt peaceful, everybody felt peaceful, and that is why explosion, when it came, sounded like the end of all things. I called it an explosion, because that was what it seemed like when it broke loose. One moment a dreamy hush was all over the place, broken only by old Humpensal, talking about our duty to our neighbors and, and then suddenly a sort of piercing shrieking squeal that got you right between the eyes and ran all the way down your spine and out of the soles of the feet. It sounded like about 600 ticks having the tails twisted simultaneously. What was simply the kid Harold who appeared to be having some species of fit. He was jumping up and down and slapping at the back of his neck. In about every other second he would take a deep breath and give out another of his squeals. Well, I mean, you can't do that sort of thing in the middle of the sermon during evening service without exciting remark. The congregation came out of its chance with a jerk and climbed on the pews to get a better view. All Happenstall stopped in the middle of a sentence and spun around, and a couple of vergers, with great presence of mind, bounded up this aisle like lepers, collected Harold, still squealing, and marched him out. They disappeared into the vestry, and I grabbed my hat and legged it round to the stage door, full of apprehension and what not. I couldn't think what the deuce could have happened, but somewhere dimly behind the proceeding there seemed to me to lurk the hand of the blighter Steggles. By the time I got there and managed to get someone to open the door, which was locked, the service seemed to be over. Old Happenstall was standing in the middle of a crowd of choir boys, and virgins and sextons and what not, putting the wretched harrel through it with no little whim. I had come in at the tail end of what must have been a fairly fruity oration. Bow, how dare you? I got a sensitive skin. This is no time to talk about your skin. Somebody put a beetle down my back. Absurd. I felt it reeling. Nonsense. Sounds pretty thin, doesn't it? Saw someone at my side. It was a sugar stashim, clad in a snowy surplus or cassock or whatever they called it, and wearing an expression of grave concern, the blighter had the cold, cynical crust to look at me in the eyebrow without a blink. Did you put a beater down his neck? I cried. Me, said Stuggles. Me. Old Happenstall was putting on the black cap. I do not credit the word of your story, wretched boy. I have warned you before, and now the time has come to act. You cease from this moment to be a member of my choir. Go, miserable child. Steggers plucked at my sleeve. In that case, he said, those bells you know, I'm afraid you lose your money, dear old boy. It's a pity you didn't put it on spee. I always think spee's the only safe way. I gave him one look, not a bit of good, of course. And they talk about the purity of the turf, I said. And I meant it to sting by Jove. Jeeves received the news bravely, but I think the man was a bit rattled beneath the surface. An ingenious young gentleman, Mr. Suckles, sir. A bully swindler, you mean? Perhaps that would be a more exact description. However, these things will happen on the turf, and it is useless to complain. I wish I had your sunny disposition, Jeeves. Jeeves bowed. We now rely then, it would seem, sir, almost entirely on Mrs. Penworthy. Should she justify Mr. Little's encomiums and show real class in the mother's sack race, I guess will just balance our losses. Yes, but that's not much consolation when you've been looking forward to a big win. It is just possible that we may still find ourselves on the right side of the ledger after all, sir. Before Mr. Little left, I persuaded him to invest a small sum for the syndicate of which you were kind enough to make me a member, sir, on the girl's egg and spoon race. On salamis, No, sir. On the long-price outsider, little Prudence Baxter, sir, the child of his lordship's head gardener. Her father assures me she has a very steady hand. She is accustomed to bring him his mug of beer from the cottage each afternoon, and he informs me she has never spilled a drop. Well, that sounded as though young Prudence's control was good, but how about the speed? With seasoned performers like Sarah Means and interred, the thing practically amounted to a classic race, and in these big events you must have a speed. I am aware that it is what is termed a long shot, sir, still I thought it judicious. You backed out for a place too, of course. Yes, sir, each way. Well, I suppose it's alright. Although I know you make a bloomer yet. Thank you very much, sir. I'm bound to say that, as a general rule, my idea of a large afternoon would be to keep as far away from a village school fête as possible. Stick a business, but with such grave issues to add, if you know what I mean, I sank my prejudices on this occasion and rolled up. I found the proceedings about as scaly as I had expected. It was a warm day and the whole grounds were dense. Practically liquid mass of peasantry. Kids seized to and fro. One of them, a small girl of so, grabbed my hand and hung on, to it as I clove my way through the jam to where the Mother Sacrace was to finish. We hadn't been introduced, but she seemed to think I would do as well as anyone else to talk to about the rock doll she had won in the Lucky Dip, and she rather spread herself on the topic. I'm going to call it Gertrude, she said, and I shall undress it every night and put it on to bed. And wake it up in the morning and dress it and put it to bed at night and wake it up next morning and dress it. I say, old thing, I said. I don't want to hurry you and all that, but you couldn't condense it a bit, could you? I'm rather anxious to see the finish of this race. The wolves of fortunes are by way of hanging on it. I'm going to run in a race soon, she said, shelving the door from the nuns, and descending to ordinary chitchat. Yes, I said, distraught if you know what I mean, and trying to peer through the chinks in the crowd. What race is that? Egg and Spoon. No, really, are you sorry meals? No. Registering scorn. I'm Prudence Baxter. Naturally, this put our relation on a different footing. I gazed at her with considerable interest. One of the stable, I must say, she didn't look much of a flyer. She was short and round, bit out of condition, I thought. I say, I said, that being so, you mustn't dash about in the hot sun and take the edge off yourself. You must conserve your energies, old friend, sit down here in the shade. Don't want to sit down? Well, take it easy anyhow. The get flitted to another topic like a butterfly hovering from flower to flower. I'm a good girl, she said. I bet you are. Oh, you're a good egg and spoon racer, too. Harold, bad boy. Harold squealed in church and isn't allowed to come to the treat. I'm glad, continued this ornament of her sex, wrinkling her nose virtuously. Because he's a bad boy, he pulled my hair Friday. Harold isn't coming to the tree, Harold isn't coming to the treat. Harold isn't coming to the treat. She chanted, making a regular song of it. Don't rub it in, my dear gold gardener's daughter, I pleaded. You don't know it, but you've hit on rather a painful subject. Oh, Wooster, my dear fellow, so you have made friends with this little lady. It was old Happenstall, beaming pretty profusely. Life and soul of the party. I am delighted, my dear Wooster, he went on, quite delighted at the way you young men are throwing yourself into the spirit of this little festivity of ours. Oh yes, I said, oh yes. Even Rupert Steggers, I must confess, that my opinion of Rupert Stickers has materially altered for the better this afternoon. Mine hadn't, but I didn't say so. I have always considered Rupert stuggles between ourselves the rattles of centred youth, but by no means the kind who would put himself out to further the enjoyment of his fellows. Yet twice within the last half hour I have observed him escorting Mrs. Penworthy, our worthy tobacconist's wife, to the refreshment tent. I left him standing. I shook off the clutching hand of the back's kid and hailed rapidly to the spot where the mother sack race was just finishing. I had a horrid presentiment that there had been more there to work at the crossroads. The first person I ran into was young Bingo. I grabbed him by the arm. Who won? I don't know, I didn't notice. There was bitterness in the chap's voice. It wasn't Mrs. Penworthy Dasher, Bertie. That hound of stuggles is nothing more nor less than one of our leading snakes. I don't know how he heard about her, but he must have got onto it that she was dangerous. Do you know what he did? He lured that miserable woman into the refreshment tents five minutes before the race and brought her out so weighed down with cake and tea that she blew up in the first twenty yards, just rolled over and laid her. Well, thank goodness we still have Harold. I gaped at the poor chump. Harold, haven't you heard? Heard? Bingo turned a delicate green. Heard what? I haven't heard anything. I only arrived five minutes ago. Came here straight from the station. What has happened? Tell me. I slipped him the information. He stared at me for a moment in a ghastly sort of way, then with a hollow groan tottered away and was lost in the crowd. Nasty knockpoo chap. I didn't blame him for being upset. They were clearing the decks now for the egg and spoon race, and I thought I might as well stay where I was and watch the finish. Not that I had much hope. Young Prudence was a good conversationalist, but she didn't seem to me to be a built of a winner. As far well as I could see through the mob, they got off to the good start, a that her child was making the running with a freckled blonde second, and Salamins lying up on an easy third. Unomany was straggling along with the field well behind the leaders. It was not hard, even as early as this, to spot the winner. There was a grace of practice precision in the way. Sarah Mills held her spoon that told its own story. She was cutting out a good pace, and her egg didn't even wobble. A natural good spooner, if ever there was one. Class will tell. 30 yards from the tape, and red-haired kid tripped over her feet and shot her egg onto the turf. The freckled blonde fought gamely but she had run herself out halfway down the street and Saramis came came passing home on a tight rein by several lengths and a popular winner. The blonde was second. A sniffing female in blue gingham beat, a pie-faced kid in pink for the place money, and Prudence Baxter, Jeeves' longshot, was either fifth or sixth, I couldn't see which. And then I was carried along with the crowd to where old Happenstall was going to present the prizes. I found myself standing next to the man's tickles. Hello, old chap, he said very brightly and cheery. You've had a bad day, I'm afraid. I looked at him with a silent scowl, lost on the blighter, of course. It's not been a good meeting for any of the big punters, he went on. Poor old bingo little went down badly over that egg-and-spoon race. I hadn't been meaning to chat with the fellow, but I was startled. How do you mean badly? I said. We? He only had a small baton. I don't know what you call small. He had 30 quid each way on the back circuit. The landscape reeled before me. What? 30 quid at 10 to 1. I thought he must have heard something, but apparently not. The race went by, the phone book, all right. I was trying to do something in my head. I was just in the middle of working out the syndicate losses, when old Happenstar's voice came sort of faintly to me out of the distance. He had been pretty fatherly and debonair when ladling out the prizes for the other events, but now he had suddenly grown all pained and grieved. He peered sorrowfully at the multitude. With regard to the Grail's egg spoon race, which has just concluded, he said, I have a painful duty to perform. Circumstances have arisen which it is impossible to ignore. It is not too much to say that I am stunned. He gave the populace about five seconds to wonder why he was stunned, and then went on. Three years ago, as you were aware, I was compelled to expunge from the list of events, at this annual festival, the Fowler's quarter mile, owing to reports coming to my ears of wagers, taken and given on the result at the inn and a strong suspicion that on at least one occasion the race had actually been sold by the speediest runner. That unfortunate occurrence shook my faith in human nature, I admit. But still there was one event at least, which I confidently expected to remain untainted by the miasma of professionalism. I allude to the girls egg and spoon race. It seems alas that I was too sanguine. He stopped again and wrestled with his feelings. I will not weary you with the unpleasant details. I will merely say that before the race was run a stranger in our midst, the man servant of one of the guests at the hall, I will not specify with more particularity, approached several of the competitors and presented each of them with five shillings on condition that they are finished. A belated sense of remorse had led him to confess to me what he did, but it is too late. The evil is accomplished and retribution must take its course. It is no time to have measures. I must be firm. I rule that Sarah Jane Parker, Bessie Cray, and Rosie Jukes, the first four to pass the winning post, have forfeited their amateur status and are disqualified, and this handsome walkback presented by Lord Vicomersley, goes in consequence to Prudence Baxter. Prudence? Step forward. End of chapter 14.